Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Twin Sons Book Club Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, joined as always by Amanda DeFonzo. Hey, everyone. And Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey, guys. And today is a very exciting day because we are going to be discussing The Rise of Skywalker novelization, the expanded edition by Ray Carson, which I'm very excited about. And guys, I'm just going to start off by saying this. As difficult as this may seem, this was actually the very first novelization of a Star Wars book that I've ever read. That shocks me. Yeah. That is surprising. He yeah. told me earlier, and I was like, you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the thing behind it. So I, and deep within my bones, really just don't like to read. And Audio I just, books. I know. I need to get into that. My drive is just not very long, though, anymore, and that's, like, when I like to read. I literally have, like, a seven-minute commute, so... Now that I'm not, like, commuting, though, I do it when I'm doing anything that's boring. Like, if I'm cleaning or emptying or loading the dishwasher or cooking. So now it's, like, all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there you go. That works. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so I, I figured if I was going to read, because I wanted to know more about the Star Wars universe, and my good friend Jesse, who was like my very first Star Wars friend, he was really into the books, and he was very knowledgeable, and I was like, man, I want to be like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, so I started to read some of the Star Wars books, and I figured if I was going to start reading the Star Wars books, I did not want to read the books of the movies, because I already knew the story of the movies, you know? It's, so That's rational. Yeah, so I was just like, I don't like reading. I'm going to read the books of the stories that are brand new to me. However, now we're doing this book club, and it's really gotten me out of my shell a little bit. I've doing been doing a lot more reading uh, with you guys, and I'm very excited about it because uh, coming to our first novelization, right off the bat, we started off with a different scene than the movie starts off with, and that kind of like threw me for a loop. I was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. So what I kind of want to do as far as the structure of this podcast is uh, I think the biggest thing is talk about the scenes that were in the book that were not in the films. Yes. Um, So I guess let's start off with that. Actually, before we do that, uh, we'll go, I'll go to each of you guys. Um, Jesse, we'll start with you. What did you think of this book? Just kind of like initial reactions right off the bat. Gosh, I mean, I love the novelizations so much. I've only read them for the sequel trilogy because when I started reading Star Wars books, I just started where we were in canon. Um, I don't know how that works with like, I'm sure the novels of the past, the novelizations of the past movies are still canon, I would assume. Um, Well, the thing with that is basically if something happens 
differently in the books than in the movies, the movie like overrides it. So it's canon until there's a discrepancy mm. and then the movie kind of kicks in. Gotcha. But in the last two sequel, the or sequel trilogy novelizations, most of the extended content was all like deleted scenes, which I thought was really cool still. Um, but this is just like, we didn't have any deleted scenes on the, uh, on the take home movie this time, whether DVD blue or whatever, there was no deleted scenes on any of the extended content features. So I was really hoping that we would get some of this bonus content here. And it, when it shot us right, right to it, right at the beginning. And I felt like every step of the way, every interaction almost seemed like it had like a couple extra sentences that we didn't get in the movie. Like everything just was like extended and pushed just a little further. And you just got a little more inside every character's head in every single moment. And it's just, I just feel like that's like integral for me to understand these characters that we really only get to spend such a short amount of time with. Um, when you really think about it in the movies, I love getting inside their heads in these books. It, it definitely gives me a deeper appreciation for pretty much every single character, honestly. For me, I think that this was so important to understanding the internal monologues of so many of the characters. I mean, we got expansion on Finn, we got expansion on Kylo, we got expansion on Ben Solo, we got expansion on Rey and Leia. Like, I loved the Leia parts. So yes. hearing all of their motivations and their decision-making processes and what they're experiencing behind the scenes made the movie that much richer for me. And even, like, getting to see more of different planets and stuff, that was also, it, it just made it so much more lush, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It deepened the lore vastly, yes. I think. It made it more magical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, I have said this since the beginning of time. I feel like Star Wars fans are very much about having content that is that fills in the gaps, you know? So Mm -hmm. we have comic books, we have TV shows, we have novels, we have video games. And I feel like more so than basically any other franchise, Star Wars will save things to be revealed in content like those, just for all of the diehard fans that literally eat, sleep, breathe, poop Star Wars. And, (laughs) you know, I, I think it's great that they save some special content for the yeah. readers because if this book was line by line, word for word, the exact same thing as the movie, I mean, that's basically just yeah. a script. So I think having the added content and, and special things like that is just classic Star Wars. So while some people might get a little frustrated maybe watching the movie, you know, there are certain things that they feel like in their mind weren't explained right. I think just dig deeper, you know, do your research and look it up if you don't feel like you have an answer because there's probably an answer to it. But let's continue on and get to the good stuff. Now, if you've not read this book and you don't plan on reading it, but you want to know about some of the extra things in the uh, in the story, I think this will be great for you. If you want to read it, I think you definitely need to get to it soon because it's it's great. So. Uh, We are going to be talking about some of the extra scenes and diving deep into this, so um, there will be spoilers, obviously. But let's start talking about some of these new scenes. Now, I wrote down most, if not all of them, so I kind of want to touch on some of these really cool ones. 
and we start right off the bat with uh, something on Mustafar when we get Kylo looking for Vader's Wayfinder at the Mustafar castle. We get uh, Kylo interacts with this brand new creature. It's called the Eye of Webbish Bog. It's basically a giant creature with a spider-like creature attached to it that can, I believe it was the spider that spoke to Kylo and yeah, basically like pointed. A parasite thing. Yeah. It basically pointed to, you know, pointed Kylo in, into the direction of the altar, which was on this island in the middle of a lake where Kylo had to go and get the Wayfinder. So that's not something that we see in the movie. We kind of just see Kylo wreck stuff and pull it out. So what did you guys think of this added scene with Kylo on Mustafar? For me, it reminded me so much of um, the Arthurian tales in The Lady in the Lake when she rises with um, Excalibur sword. That's kind of like what it brought me to. So I like that it pulled a little bit of mythology there. Just it like with the feel. placement of everything. Yeah, it totally had that feel. I just, I love how it like connected everything back to Vader and like reconnected Kylo to Vader and reminded you of like why he is who he is kind of and and kind of deepened the, the, the lore of Vader in general. Like we, we know he has a castle on Mustafar. We get to see like glimpses of it, but like we got to now like actually like trudge through the like creepy terrain and like understand that there's like villagers and like people that actually live there like I always just looked like a desolate lava to me like nothing yeah. else was there it's like a dead so it's planet. cool yeah it's cool that it actually has like a livable ecosystem for a certain certain types of creatures and people <laughs> yeah well I will say this too because I feel like and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything for you guys because especially you two Amanda and Jesse um I have the Oculus for Vader Immortal, and if you play through the three volumes of Vader Immortal, you learn a ton about Mustafar's past. I mean, essentially what's going on, and like I said, I'm not going to go too deep into this, is Mustafar didn't always used to be this lava planet. I mean, people lived on this planet, they thrived on this planet, bad things happened, and it's sort of working its way back to its original state. So there are forests and there are lakes and, you know, things like that. And they actually refer to the forest in this novel. I think it's called Corvax Forest or something like that. After a character that you get to learn more about in Vader Immortal. So it's crazy how they're introducing and matching up things from all throughout Star Wars. And if it's, it's sort of just like an Easter egg if you've played Vader Immortal, yeah. which is cool. I love that they make this such a complete and immersive fandom. Yeah. Like, we are so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel like I say that like 700 times a podcast. <laughs> like, I feel so lucky that there's just not another fandom like it. No. Yeah. Now, you know, I think I think somebody in our book club on Facebook in our group, I think posted a picture of like, this character yeah they basically said um so this is this is a picture of it looking out of kind of like a lake and if you go if you go onto our group page um it was on the discussion of our fir our first week's discussion and the person who posted it uh said apparently it was actually built as a prop and they were gonna film for it too so i don't know maybe it will be in a deleted scene if we ever get those we'll get to see kind of an actual representation of what that looks like 
which would be awesome. So let's continue on with some of these scenes, and uh, some of them are going to be more, not necessarily scenes, but just information that we get in mm -hmm. some of the scenes. And um, I will be reading a couple different passages from the book, just because I think that they're so interesting. And I want to start talking about Palpatine, because we get introduced to Palpatine in the sequel trilogy in this episode. And um, I know that one issue that people kind of had with the film is like, how did Palpatine come back? Is Palpatine like legit? Is that really Palpatine? If so, how did he survive the Death Star? You know, what's the deal? And um, I believe it was at C2E2 in March or late February that the Rise of Skywalker novelization was first sold to consumers. And some people started reading it, and I saw that they had said that Palpatine was a clone. And I was like, I don't know if I like that. But after reading through this, it makes a lot more sense to me, mm -hmm. and I like it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Palpatine in the EU, in the Dark Empire comic books, actually, there is a Palpatine clone in EU. So this is another kind of like throwback to old EU content. But what did you guys think of Palpatine being a clone? I'm right there with you, Eric. Somebody at my work had like told me about the clone thing before I had read it. And I was like trying to beg them not to tell me anything because I knew I was going to read the book and they couldn't let it go. So I was like, just tell me. And, <laughs> and yeah, and I was like, oh, OK. But but yeah, no, it was like the way it was explained of like everything being attached to like this old like sith experiments and sith like creepy uh like all these different crazy things that they did splicing genes and um just just really deeping it deepening it into like the like a sith clone and not just like the clones from like camino like oh he just grew them in a little tank it was like very delved into that like Sith culture that I feel like we got really introduced to in this film as far as the non-canon or as far as what we know in canon these days I don't know much about the EU I've never read any EU so for me this was like my I felt like a deep dive into the Sith that I had not had yet other than like the rule of two and, and the Sith code for me at least um so I, I thought it was really interesting to to get all that because it, it, that was like the the main question that we all had when we left the movie is like, but how? How did you do that? <laughs> so I really liked it. I, I'm not mad at it at all. It it was very haunting and, and gruesome still, not just like your typical cloning. Mm hmm. Yeah, and for me, when C2E2 happened and everyone was posting all of those spoilers, I accidentally scrolled across and like didn't stop or didn't keep scrolling fast enough. And I oh, no. saw people posting about him being a clone and I was like, they must have read the book wrong. They they don't understand what they're reading. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, then I kept going and like completely forgot about it. So it was yeah, I brand forgot. new. <laughs> <laughs> like everything that people were posting spoilers for, I was like, I don't know if they're interpreting this right, or I don't know, like, they're just posting little chips of the book, and, like, I don't, I don't trust it. <laughs> I'm just gonna wait. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm usually of that mind, too. 
Yeah, because you can't really tell what's going on from just like a small little snippet that someone posts because they're upset about something. I feel like that just casts a whole like light upon it that it can be taken out of context in. But anyways, so for me, reading about Palpatine and stealing the secrets from Plagueis, I really loved getting more on his relationship with Plagueis and how he had kind of just transferred his soul through the Force as he was falling down the tunnel in the Death Star to something that, like a, a life form that he had already had waiting and hanging up for him. Yeah, I'll read that here in a second because I'm excited to talk about how he survived. Yeah, and and just, I mean, I don't know if you want to read it first, but that, the comparison, like seeing it through Ray's eyes and her realization mm-hmm. that like what he did there is like of the same part of the force that both Leia and Luke had like drawn upon to you know, do their, I forget what it's called, force... Projection? Projections, yeah, basically, to Leia to Kylo and Luke, you know, also to Kylo uh, (laughs) on crate. But I thought it was cool that that's all the same side of, like, the same force ability, just like Jedi versus Sith. Yeah, I I thought it was a really intriguing piece of Sith lore and... It mixed the magic of the Force with evil science, and I was like, ooh, my little geeky sci-fi heart loves this. <laughs> yeah, I, well, the biggest thing for me is I did not want, I wanted it actually to be Palpatine. You know, if Palpatine was going to come back, I wanted it to be him. I did not want it to be a clone. And the thing is, if you think about the clones, like you were talking about, Jesse, the clones on Kamino, they're not all Jango Fett. All the clones are individuals. Rex is not the same as Cody, you know. Jesse's not the same as Fives. Like, all the clones have different personalities and they're different people. Here, it's still Palpatine. It's still Palpatine's essence. And just because it's not his original body doesn't mean it's not Palpatine. And I think that is sort of what changed my mind about it because it was still Palpatine. Yeah. And something I'm wondering is, is it both Palpatine and Plagueis up in there and whoever came before Plagueis since he's saying that he is now all the Sith? And, you know, things that they had described, especially in this novelization, like how many people are up in his head? How many hamsters (laughs) are on that wheel, man? (laughs) Like... Ray has like vastly more. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there ain't no rule of two on that. Side. <laughs> yeah, but I'll go ahead and read this uh, just real quick about how he survived because it does a much better job than I feel like we can describe. So I'm gonna go ahead and read this real quick. Okay, so and this is all. I mean, Ray was like in his head, and that's how we get this. So, Plagueis had not acted fast enough in his own moment of death, but Sidious, sensing the flickering light in his apprentice, had been ready for years. So the falling, dying Emperor called on all the dark power of the Force to thrust his consciousness far, far away to a secret place he had been preparing. His body was dead, an empty vessel, long before it found the bottom of the shaft and his mind jolted to a new awareness in a new body, a painful one, a temporary one. 
It was too soon. The secret place had not completed its preparations. The transfer was imperfect, and the cloned body wasn't enough. Perhaps Plagueis was having the last laugh after all. Maybe his secret remained secret, because Palpatine was trapped in a broken, dying form. So I think that does a fantastic job to not only explain how Palpatine sort of survived, but also the state at which we see Palpatine in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, at first yeah. he's all decrepit and he's his eyes are all glazed over and yeah. his hands are rotting. And Even more you know. on that, um, in the chapter with Kylo, they expanded a little bit and they're talking about them like replacing these fluid vials in him and stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is super graphic. (laughs) So I just, is it that he's not entirely organic? I mean. is, but it's just not, it wasn't what he was trying to make. I think Plagueis is sort of like this mastermind when it comes to all of that stuff. The midichlorians, like the genetics and, you know, I think... To me, at least the way that I understand it, is that Palpatine was and thought he was ready. Even when he talks to Vader in Episode 3, you know, to cheat death is a power only one has achieved, but if we work together, I know we can discover the secret. So I really don't think that Palpatine was completely aware of everything that Plagueis was doing, despite, you know, thinking he was ready. So I, I feel like maybe Palpatine took Plagueis out too early, um, yeah. but that's just my thought on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's continue kind of on on this. And, and in this same sort of chapter here, in the same sort of segment, uh, it goes on to talk a little bit about Ray's father. The heretics of the Sith Eternal toiled, splicing genes, bolstering tissue, creating unnatural abominations in the hope that one of these strand casts would succeed and become a worthy receptacle. The heretics would do anything, risk anything, sacrifice anything to create a cradle for their god consciousness. Nothing worked, but their efforts were not entirely in vain. One genetic strand cast lived, thrived even, a not-quite-identical clone, his quote-unquote son. But he was a useless, powerless failure. Palpatine could not even bear to look upon such disappointing ordinariness. The boy's only worth would lay in continuing the bloodline through more natural methods. And so that is how Ray comes to be. So this, you know, this uh, son, this clone of Palpatine was sort of a failed experiment that was only there to kind of create more Palpatines. Which, like, actually made me feel a lot better because before I was imagining Palpatine like, nope. Getting busy, and I did not want that. So, yeah. nope. Very glad. Clone, perfect. Yeah, that's the clone I want. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And even Luke's, you know, Luke's notes that Ray kind of looks at mention that Palpatine was obsessed with living forever, and so we get to see sort of his experiments and and some of the ways that that was sort of being portrayed. So. Yes, I think when you initially think that, oh, Palpatine's a clone, you're like, uh... but I think the way that they explain it, you know, especially the way that Ray Carson, you know, describes it to us, I think really makes me feel good about it. And now mm-hmm. I feel, I feel more educated 
So when people kind of bring that up as, as a drawback to the film, you have a direct answer to what the explanation is, you know. And it's also just something that we've now seen reflected through this sequel trilogy multiple times and we're just seeing the dark side of it, like drawing on all power of whatever side of the force to allow yourself to do something crazy, project yourself out into out of body. We've like seen that multiple times before we get to this point. So I like that they kind of like led us to that and it's not something we would have ever guest for Palpatine I don't think I think we, we were like always talking about him being like attached to like a dark object that like mm-hmm. that like something like that knife that they found like mm-hmm. you know I think it was what or like attached to the Death Star like I'm just it's cool because this isn't really something that people said clone but this is not in the way that we expected it so no I don't even think clone is the entirely appropriate term for what he did to himself Right. He basically made like an organic meat sack and then transferred his en- essence into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't, it wasn't like he, that it had consciousness before he transferred right. himself into it. And I feel like that's kind of implied in a clone. So I really like how we got this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next scene. Um, and this one involves Kylo. And there's a couple scenes with Kylo that I feel like we did not get in um, the film. And this one was very interesting. So Kylo Ren visits prisoner Chewbacca. Uh, So this takes place after the First Order captures Chewbacca. Rey thinks that she killed him. And, you know, now the Resistance is going aboard the Steadfast. They're trying to get there. But Kylo does this uh, interrogation of Chewbacca. And he essentially tries to reach into inside Chewbacca's mind to find out what Rey's mission is. But he sees a past of himself referring to Chewie as Uncle Chewie. And so to me, I mean, this this is what's in Chewbacca's head. And I think, it, you know, to a certain extent that might have sparked something in inside Ben. Inside Ben, you know, to, to make him feel like that he's still there. And, you know, it's obviously a, a sentimental moment. And Chewbacca, and we'll see this again in a, in a different scene, Chewbacca cares for Ben. And I think, you know, it's it's reflective in The Force Awakens when Ben or when Kylo kills Han and Chewie shoots him. I mean, I would have bet money that Chewbacca, if he really wanted to, could have popped Kylo's head, you know? Yeah. So I think Get a clear shot. I think it's just a sort of a mercy a mercy shot for Chewie in The Force Awakens. But what did you guys think of this scene with Kylo kind of interrogating Chewbacca? heartbreaking (laughs) yeah it just made me so sad for both of them because you can see so much um like with kylo ren and what he's thinking and the pull of ben solo and he's trying so hard to stay kylo ren and it's like little boy no (laughs) you don't need to be so mean we all still love you come on it's okay (laughs) like it's really it's really heartbreaking to see the residual effect that Palpatine and Palpatine's Snoke puppet have had on this family. Because that's what Chewie is. Chewie was his family. So... Uncle Chewie. Uncle Chewie, yeah. Yeah. I felt so many different things about this scene. It's like Kylo, you know, it's almost like his happy memories 
fuel him deeper to the dark because it just reminds him of how irreversible what he's done, the point that he's at, how there's no going back. And he has someone like this in front of him who's done pretty much no wrong to him other than something that he well knows he deserves after killing his father. And then there's the other side where you're just like, obviously Ben is still in there. Like this is one of those moments where you could see that flicker because he could just take out Chewbacca. Like he took out his father. He could just let someone else like torture, you know, information out of him. But like he goes in there himself and he basically keeps Chewbacca alive to be rescued. Like that's like the flicker of like Ben, I feel like just not allowing, you know, Chewbacca to come to any true harm in that moment. I don't know. Yeah. And it seems like those memories and like the pain of it, it drains him thinking Mm -hmm. about how much he's lost to put himself where he's at right now. For Kylo, he feels like there's no turning back. Mm Mm-hmm. To yeah. him, he feels like there's I mean, no he's, redemption. He keeps saying, "Your son is your son is gone. Your son's dead." You know, he keeps saying, he keeps saying that, and yeah. so I feel like he thinks that there's no turning back, and yeah. obviously, he, there is. I feel like time and time again, throughout this movie in particular, you just see how he, he is. The creation of Kylo Ren is the absence of hope. Yeah, it's it's they took all Palpatine, Snoke, they took all hope from him. And that's what you get when you don't have hope. And it's like the more he says it and tries to believe it, he's trying to convince himself. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to convince anyone else because you don't keep saying your son is dead. I am Kylo Ren. There is no Ben over and over and over. You're not telling them. You're telling yourself. Right. So. Crazy scene. I was not expecting that. I mean, I expected there to be, you know, some scenes that we never got in the movie. I mean, even a more detailed description of Palpatine. But, like, I was not expecting Kylo Ren to go in there and interrogate Chewbacca. I don't know why. It was... This one Mm -hmm. might have been just the most, like, unexpected scene for me. But, yeah. Mm. I was glad that we got it. So. All right. Let's continue on. Uh, We get another additional scene in this with Zori... And we see what happens to her after Poe and the Resistance members leave Kijimi. And, you know, for me, like, I was very excited for Zori. And even, it's not like I was disappointed in her character by any means in the film. But I love the way that she looks, especially when she has her visor open. Like, I just think she looks really cool. I like the way that she sounds. Jakanka! No Drakonka. Like, I just like the, you know, I like <laughs> yeah. that whole scene and the way that she sounds. And and obviously Carrie Russell is a well-known actress that plays her. So I feel like there was a lot of buildup for her character. And to some people, maybe we didn't get as much Zori as, as we would have liked. But we get more with Zori in this, which I was very excited about. And so we get to see Zori after Poe and everybody leave, head back to the Spice Runner's Den to warn everyone that the First Order's coming the first order knows that like ray was there and so we see the knights of ren essentially slaughtering and murdering people of kajimi city and spice runners um we get introduced to some of the members of the spice runner community 
And uh, some of them actually, one of them, uh, just sort of sacrifices herself for Zori so she can get to her Y-Wing and she leaves and vows to come back to save her friends. So what did you guys think of this scene? Like, she was jumping across rooftops. I mean, she was just awesome. I loved it. I loved the detail. I loved that we have, like, these super cool boots that she's got that have the grips that can retract. <laughs> and yeah. she's just creeping on the roof. And then she sees Kylo Ren, and she's just, like, hanging out there hiding and watching everything go down. It was so cool. She's so, so cool. I love it. You know, it kind of, it like, we, like you said, Eric, she's so fleeting and you find out she, you know, she's basically a old, like, love interest for Poe Dameron and we don't really get to see any of that. So, like, to kind of, like, see her in action, you're just like, I see why Poe likes you. Like, you're <laughs> really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably the only one in the universe that would resist a kiss from Poe Dameron. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard pass, man. Yeah. All right, so then we get another scene. Now, there's a couple more um, that I want to talk about, and this one was kind of brief, but I thought it was very impactful. Now, this is going to be a Leia scene, and so Leia is giving a motivational speech. Now, obviously, with the loss of Carrie Fisher, the dialogue in the film is limited, and there's only so much you can do. Um, But she gives a motivational speech after the Falcon begins responding again, after they get it on Kijimi. And so everyone's cheering and Leia's like, obviously, you know, the general of the resistance and, you know, everyone holds her up on this pedestal like like she should be because she's just awesome. But Luke's voice interrupts Leia's speech and says it's time and it's time to say goodbye. And so obviously, you know, they describe it in this novel how... You know, in The Last Jedi, when Leia got jettisoned out of the ship and, you know, used the Force to get back on, that was not without a cost. I mean, that put a giant toll on her body, you know, being in space like that for that amount of time. Um, And so now here's Luke sort of interrupting this speech saying, it's time, it's time to say goodbye, you know. Mm -hmm. So Luke is kind of bringing her toward Mm -hmm. her end a little bit, you know. Beckoning her on. Yeah. Um, but she's just so resistant because she feels like she has to carry everything on her shoulders on her own all the time. Yeah. She's has the literal weight of the galaxy. Yes. She puts it on her shoulders. Yeah. Like that's all of her mantles. I mean, she's not just one thing. She's everything. She is the general. She is the voice of reason. She is the warrior. She is Rey's link to the Force and the Jedi. There's just so much that she encompasses. She's a symbol of hope for everybody. Yeah. But I love how she kind of, like, has that, like, inner rationality that I don't... We didn't really get in the film where she, like, rationalizes to herself, like, I am going to pass on the Organa, the Skywalker, and the Solo to, you know, it, it, she she has to sit and have that inner talk with herself yep. to, to kind of convince herself that she, this is how you pass on hope. This is how, mm-hmm. is how Obi-Wan inspired Luke. And now she's doing that same exact thing for everyone in the Resistance, basically. Yep. Everyone has shoes to step into at some point. Mm-hmm. So... It was really beautiful getting these moments with Leia that we weren't able to get in the film. 
Yeah. And the book starts off with Leia. And we get, you know, immediately, right off the bat, we hear about her training with Luke. And, you know, that's not something that I feel like we really, I mean, obviously it's it's in the middle of the film where we get to see their lightsaber battle, Luke and Leia and stuff. Um, you know, we kind of had an idea that Leia was training Rey, but not to this extent. Um, and so I think it's really cool that they began the book with that information with Leia. And I also thought it was cool that they say in this book that Leia had heard the voices of Obi-Wan and rarely Yoda during her years of training. But, um, and she heard Luke's once in a while. Um, but I think it's cool that we get this in this novel that Luke is, is beckoning her to yeah, become one I of love the force. All those moments of, all those extra moments of the training between Luke and Leia were like some of probably my favorite parts of this entire book is getting to see the details of Leia's journey with the force and to hear that like Luke she even like surprised Luke sometimes with how deep she could connect to the force um, and how much she could focus the force and I just I it just it sorry got excited it just strengthened <laughs> it just strengthened so much that moment that we see in the last shadow like we were saying where she rescues herself from the depths of space like that was such a shocking moment that didn't have a lot of context and a lot of people didn't like that I didn't it didn't bother me really at all because it just makes to me it makes sense that she would have a sense of the force but but now you have like that we get to actually see yeah. that she was confirmation wrong mm -hmm. yeah like at the point that luke was when she, he was being trained she was actually stronger mm -hmm. in that sense of the force if you compare her like nice dagobah to luke's dagobah Cajun <laughs> class yeah yeah she was stronger than he was at that time if that makes in their journey she was stronger at the same point that he had been at at that point and yeah I think that she had just this incredible grasp on the give and take that we keep hearing about of the Force in this book mm -hmm. that some just, Jedi maybe lack. Yeah, she just had like a whole other thing. She had her own type of connection that mm -hmm. was unique to her. And I, I just feel like we got so much of like the Leia story that we were lacking due to the passing of Carrie Fisher. Yeah. The Leia we it. all deserved. And yeah. I want to bring this up, too, because this really, it honestly gave me goosebumps. In Chapter 14, they talk about the potential that Leia might have been unturnable. Like, she did not have that ability to, like, turn to the dark side almost, you know? What do you guys think about that? I think I love it's... Sorry, go ahead. I loved it. Sorry. <laughs> We're like, ah. Uh. Go ahead. No, I... I just, it made me think of how we were talking about um, in our last uh, Twin Sons Transmission episode when we were talking about um, Dave Filoni and the things that he was saying in the the Mandalorian uh, Disney Gallery episodes on Disney Plus um, and him talking about how Obi-Wan wasn't the right father figure for Anakin. He needed Qui-Gon, just somebody who has that like deep, connection to the force kind of in a very similar way as we've been hearing Leia be d described I feel like that is a very Qui-Gon you know she she reminds me a lot of Qui-Gon in her description of of her connection with the force so it made me think a lot about Rey and how she has that same darkness in her that Kylo had that Anakin had um that we've seen them both fall to but every time Rey starts getting dark 
she she thinks of Leia and she is literally says multiple times like what would Leia do like yeah. Leia was like the mother figure that Ray needed to make her unturnable yeah and then in the end I mean Ben filled that role for her in right. a really beautiful way a, a very familial full circle that was just that was some gorgeous writing for that part right there but back going back to Leia I think it was just so right that they made her essentially the light side of the force. She was the embodiment of the light. She was the daughter of the chosen one. Mm -hmm. So I think despite the fact that Leia's training was not, you know, she wasn't trained in the ways of the force as a toddler, you know, she, they talk about, you know, the force manifests manifests itself in people at different times, at different ages. You know, people don't always, they're not, they're not, you know, using the force to, to levitate, you know, toys across a room all the time when they're a newborn infant. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it takes right. people a little bit longer. And, you know, with Leia, it's kind of interesting that she, she made a choice to stop her training. You know, to stop for the sake of her son, you know. And, you know, I, I think Leia is, because of the Rise of Skywalker novelization, I think working her way up there as one of my favorite characters because of, of how she's described in this book. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Yeah. And I Agreed. wonder if Leia may have been manifesting her force in a different way when she was younger um, in a more intuitive sense and using it to navigate her politics and um, how she helped the rebellion. Yeah, I mean... Because it would make sense because she has this intuitive connection with the force and this give and take, so that might have helped her and, you know, guided her through how, as such a young person, she was a contender in the Senate. The Force is so complex, mm-hmm. and if you remember back to episode one, the midichlorians, they continuously speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. The Force is very instinctual. It's, it's not all about jumping really high or running really fast or levitating things or, or whatever. Rocks. It's <laughs> an instinct. It's a, you know They even talk about like feelings and, and things like that. It's, it's more than all that, and so I think for Leia... Her use of the force is more geared towards other things. You know, it's geared towards instincts and feelings and, and you know, leadership and all that. So um, one thing that I really did love, too, about Leia, and this got me super pumped because one of my favorite scenes in Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, is where we see Luke at the end. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, they really did not like the way that Luke was portrayed in The Last Jedi because they felt like he wasn't a hero. He's not not my Luke. We've heard that from a lot of people. But I really want to read this sort of uh, passage from the book. So it's on page 54 if you had the hardcover copy. And it's essentially Leia talking about the, the events that happened on Crate. So I'll just read this real real quick. That day on Crate had been Leia's darkest moment. She thought the spark of hope had died. She remembered sitting down in the old rebel outpost, exhausted, out of options, while the First Order deployed a siege cannon that would make short work of the armored hangar doors. They were all going to die, and the resistance with them. And then her brother had appeared. 
Luke had distracted the First Order long enough for them all to escape, and their small remnant had survived to carry on the light. Since then, they'd been establishing contact with old allies, calling in favors, recruiting everyone sympathetic to their cause. Maz Kanata joining up had been a huge win, for instance. She had more connections in more places than the rest of them combined. They were growing. They were almost a force to be reckoned with. She'd been wrong to lose hope that day. She wouldn't make that mistake again. And so it's because of Luke that all of this happened. I mean, Luke is a hero. Luke mm-hmm. is the same yeah. Luke that we know. And if it weren't for Luke in The Last Jedi, the Resistance would be gone. So I'm very excited about the way that that Ray Carson added that in there. And it makes me feel so good about Luke. Yeah, I agree. I always liked Luke, you know, slipping up a little bit and making a mistake and seeing him in a a different light. It just makes him a more dynamic character and puts him in that situation that we needed him to be in for Rey when she felt all was lost too and she lost all hope. She was going to go put herself away just like Luke, afraid of herself, afraid of who she is, afraid of her darkness. And and he needed to have had that experience as well and to be connected in that way to to be there, to be like, hey, no, you're not doing this. I don't make the same mistake I made. Yeah. I think it's just funny how a lot of people, one of the drawbacks that people say for not liking Ray is that she's this Mary Sue. She can't do anything wrong. You know, she, she you know, is, is flawless. And I don't necessarily agree with that because, you know, I've read all the books and, and everything and I feel like Ray has plenty of flaws. And we see a lot of them in this book. She just, Kylo Ren, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, Kylo Ren pushes her to the point where she just, like, cannot not react. You know, mm-hmm. she gets rageful. Mm-hmm. She just, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyway, sometimes people say that Ray's this Mary Sue, she can't do anything wrong. And I think with Luke, you know, they want him to be that character. And when he does have flaws and when he's not perfect, people get upset. It's like, what That's the heck? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He's like a, <laughs> he's like a Gary Sue up yeah. until <laughs> that point. So like, I don't want to hear Mary Sue ever again. <laughs> Can we just ban that word? Can we cancel yeah. it? Seriously. Please. <laughs> So much has already been canceled. Why not that? Just cancel Mary Sue. It's over. Yeah. It's played out. I'm so sick of it. It's like there can't be any female development without them being like, yeah, but how? Like, right. read a book. Educate yeah. yourself. All right. Well, let's get to um, sort of talking about that Kylo and his ability to push Ray. And when Rey explodes the transport and she thinks she just killed Chewbacca, Kylo was the one that kind of put her there. I mean, he pushed her and he he says, I wanted to see the power and, and all that. And granted, they all got away, but Kylo viewed that as a victory. He viewed that as a win because he keeps pushing her toward the dark side. Mm-hmm. You know, and even when he destroys the Wayfinder... The book does a fantastic job talking about how Ray was the offense in that battle. Kylo was just deflecting. Kylo was defense yeah. that entire battle. And that and, is not the Jedi way. And so Kylo and that, is getting Ray to these points. And that's, I feel like, a big problem. And that was even like fueling her anger. Like when she yeah. realizes he's not reacting, she's like, just, it's described as her, like, it's infuriating her. Yep. Mm hmm. I think it also has something to do with the fact that they're a dyad and because they are not 
balanced on the right side of the force together at this point that that dissonance just like curls her you know curls her toes yeah. a little bit it's not good no we get another added scene with lando walking in the falcon and i thought this was really cool obviously lando's been in the falcon since solo but i feel like those were very quick instances where he jumped in the falcon and he flew off and he went with uh you know the entire rebel fleet to wait for orders and all that so i feel like Lando probably didn't, I mean, it was a crowded Falcon as well. He probably didn't take a leisurely walk through the corridors of the Falcon and things like that. But anyway, Han had retrofitted Lando's cape closet to a first mate's bunk, which is where essentially Chewbacca's quarters were. And he finds a hollow disc and it had an image of Chewie holding Ben. So this is another moment where you kind of realize... I mean, that's something that Chewbacca kept. If he truly had mm-hmm. not forgiven Ben, I don't think he would have kept that. I don't no. think he would have kept that in his in his quarters. I think he so. still had hope. I think that's mm-hmm. what that was, was, yeah. you know, he's holding on to that. He's holding on to that hope. Despite what he did. Yeah. You know? It just makes you even sadder. Like, it, it, so much of what we get inside of Kylo's head is his realization that everything that's been fed to him this whole time that makes him Kylo Ren is a lie. And it just makes it so much more tragic. They were poisoning all of his memories. Yep. And it's just, it's so sad. (laughs) I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple things that I thought were interesting, uh, continuing on with this Lando thing, is I know some people were sort of, dismissing the fact that they were laying it on super thick that Jana is Lando's daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in multiple occasions throughout this book, they talk about it. They talk about how Lando's daughter was taken from him when she was a baby. And he's like, oh, she's probably a stormtrooper now. And then all of a sudden we see that Jana was a stormtrooper and they have that whole conversation mm-hmm. at the end. So this book, I feel like all but confirms, you know, that Jana is Lando's daughter. Yeah. If Jana is not Lando's daughter, Jana is going to lead him to Lando's daughter. <laughs> and yeah. he's going to lead her to her father. Like, they can't just... She better be his daughter. I want it to. At the end, though, I, I, I was with you. I was like, oh, it's for sure. Like, they're confirming yeah. it. And then at the very end, he kind of, like, they have, like, a little extra part of that conversation or it, it kind of inside of his head where he's like, oh, well, there's all these kids who need yeah. help and... and I, I don't know if I'll ever find my daughter, but but maybe I will. Like, it, he has some kind of an inner monologue like yeah. that. And I was like, oh, like, you don't. Like, it just felt like you knew, but you don't know. Yeah. I feel like he'll he'll find <laughs> out that Janice's daughter. That's what I think. But there was something yeah. weird about, like, when he was talking about her, when she smiled. But think about yeah, Lando's it was smile. Like, yeah, I know. I'm like, he recognized right. something yeah. in her smile. And I'm like, dude, come on. But then he didn't, yeah. <laughs> like, get with the program. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lando. Mm-hmm. The old smoothie. <laughs> All right. So a couple of things that I thought were really interesting related to Ray. Um, so they, in the first chapter maybe or first couple chapters they had talked about ray been working on this new lightsaber 
right? So she, it wasn't Luke's saber. It wasn't obviously Leia's saber. This was her own saber that she was working on. And then as you, as when she has her interaction with Dark Ray, she makes a comment about the saber saying, oh, well, that's kind of like the design that I was thinking of. And then at the end, she creates something totally different with the white gold blade and created from parts of her, you know, scavenged quarterstaff and everything. But I thought it was interesting that mm-hmm. on her workbench, she's been working on this saber for a long time. And that's not something that we got in the film at all either. Yeah. Um, and I like that the color that she has is generally the color of the sentinel. The yeah, parts. I like the yellow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A very balanced color. Yeah. Like, I like they described it. Like they didn't call it yellow. They called it like white, white gold. gold. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's just that's way cooler. Balance. So suiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also related to Ray, I don't know if you guys got the same or noticed this or whatever, but when Ray is saying "Be with me" to all of the you know Jedi who came before her, it's referred to in this book as a place between places that's chapter 18 like so it's like the world between worlds worlds. (laughs) so was ray in the world between worlds somehow i think she was i felt like she was in the movie and then this like just confirmed it for me especially because like when we get the world between worlds in rebels Mm -hmm. he's basically standing in the middle of this galaxy type setting just Mm -hmm. stars everywhere and ray doesn't say anything no. In Rebels, right? I don't I don't remember. So. I don't remember either. I don't think we got her. But then she's, you know, she's seeing past all this. She's, you know, going past the lightning and all of the destruction. And she's just in this place where it has to be the world between worlds. The parallels mm-hmm. are too much. No, it's the yeah. place between places. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> <laughs> It was really cool. It was it was super cool. And everything matches up, you know. So, I agree. I thought that was a really mm-hmm. cool add-in. And it's, uh, you know, a topic of conversation that people can bring to their, their break tables at work and stuff. Because it's super cool. <laughs> One thing that I really liked about this, and I really enjoy about books in general, is that, you know, some of the, some of the, the arguments that people have about the film of plot holes potentially are like, well, how did Kylo Ren get off Kef beer? Because, you know, Ray took, Ray took his TIE fighter to Octo. So how did Kylo like get out? And in here they talk about Ben finding a scout tie on the second Death Star to leave. And that's how he got there. And we see that tie when he lands on Exegol, you know, Mm -hmm. they were wondering how Kylo knew that Ray was going to be on Kef Beer. Well, the First Order scanned the dagger and were able to translate, you know, the coordinates. So I just think it's it's interesting that this book does, and books, like I said, in general do this, sort of just shed a lot of light on what people think are plot holes that aren't actually plot holes. No, there's just not, literally not enough time in any film ever to explain every single thing. Yeah. I mean, if you added <laughs> all these scenes that we just talked about, that's a whole movie It'd on its like own. It'd be like four-hour film. So. <laughs> well, yeah, let me tell you right now how many hours Rise of Skywalker is. Hold on. I'm really, Oh, sorry. I'm looking at it, and I'm at the very end. So I'm just going to have to, like, restart it. it. Okay, so for the audiobook, 
the guy reading it, and obviously a lot of it is description, like that adds, like, you know, now they have to describe what you would have just been immediately seeing on screen. Um, but there was so much extra. So this was nine hours and 37 minutes wow. for out loud reading. And the audiobooks feel like you're just listening to the movie because they have so many extra cool sound effects and everything going on behind it. So beyond just descriptors, I'd like I'd like to know just how much of that was just like extra inside people's heads and like extended scene content because it's just vast. Yep. So much. And this, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, now I've I've flipped through the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, and they might have mentioned it in the art of the Rise of Skywalker, but um, I believe this might have been the first time that we ever get the name of the snake on Pasana, like that species, the Vexus. I'm pretty sure that's not in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. So, you know, just just even little tiny things like that really stand out in my head because I like knowing those little trivia tidbits, you know, Mm -hmm. couple other things I want to discuss and then we'll kind of move on here. I know this has already been a, you know, decently long show, but, um, there's just so much goodness. So force heal, right. And it, they show you that this is, it's about giving and it's about, uh, it comes at a cost. You know, mm-hmm. so when Ray heals the Vexus and she's like, oh, yeah, I just transferred some of my force energy from me to him. And she like, you know, rubs her hand and gets up and goes on her way. But that is something that stings her hand and it bothers her, you know, and she feels mm-hmm. exhausted from it physically. And she even refers to it later. Like, I think it was during her fight with Kyla that she still felt exhausted from transferring her force yeah. energy on the Death Star and her hand still hurt. Yeah. So this is something yeah. that doesn't, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to heal you, done. No, you yeah. gave away a part of your life essence. Yeah. Yeah, I think people were, thought like it was kind of like a a loophole that just hasn't been used yet. I don't know if I'm using the right word for that. Like there was a lot of people that I heard mm-hmm. being like, well, if we could force heal, why weren't we doing that the whole time? It's like, because you're literally killing yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's not something you would use all the time necessarily. You're literally giving, sacrificing yeah. parts of yourself, parts of your energy, your life force to something or someone else. So and the thing is, it's not, common. it is not bringing someone back from death. That's not how it works. Yes. It's giving, you know, force energy to someone else. And so at the end... And some people, I'm sure, will be like, well, what about Kylo? He brought Rey back, you know. But the way that the book describes it is that Kylo sensed a spark within Rey when she was, like, unconscious, Mm -hmm. basically. The Force had not taken her yet. So she was not dead. She was still alive. She was just, you know, about to die. Yeah. (laughs) Or like they say in The Princess Bride, mostly dead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was just so close to death that it took everything Kylo had left to save her and they had both already lost so much of their energy i mean she'd healed him prior to that she'd healed the vexus and then palpatine sapped everything that they had almost yeah they could like hardly move at the end i I love how it described how difficult just i mean the actress did a great job of portraying Mm -hmm. that in the film but you like really felt the weight of that had she not been book. drawing on all of the Jedi past and had she not gone to the place between places? 
she would have never rolling your eyes every time you say that now aren't you every (laughs) single time it's your fault (laughs) um but she if she had not drawn on that and drawn on the strength of the jedi before her she would not have been able to get herself off the ground that was the last gift of the force was giving her those last moments of energy because she was like lying on the ground pretty much dying before she went toe-to-toe with Palpatine right there yeah I like that she said that you know as Palpatine was using her as his vessel she was gonna allow them to use her instead like I loved that description and she could feel him using their stolen energy using their stolen life force I mean, it was really great storytelling in this book. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, there are so many more things. I mean, just even in some of the discussion questions that you have posed, Amanda, you know, Kylo Ren thinks that the Knights of Ren on Exegol, for the briefest moment, he thinks that they're there to help. Uh, No, (laughs) no, they're not. (laughs) Like, it's interesting to hear about Ben Solo's thoughts mm-hmm. like all oh, these guys are mm-hmm. wait no never mind you know i i love the descriptions in yeah. this novel and there are so many more i highly recommend reading yeah. it and i'm sure I think... mm-hmm. sorry i was gonna say i think we have to discuss just one more extra piece of content that we got um that was just blew my mind with finn when Earlier in the film, he's sinking, they're sinking in that like sand pit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Ray, Ray, I never told you. And then he gets sucked under. And then they joke about it later and we never hear about it again. But at the very end of this book, like after their big, beautiful hug reunion, everything's over, we did it, hug. He whispers to her, I never told you. And she just responds with, I know. Yeah. But we get so many hints throughout this book Finn is force sensitive. Mm-hmm. And it he can reach out to Ray. Yeah, he can sense her. He it, all over and over again. Like you can kind of see that in the film, but I don't know. My small mind, I guess, wasn't like comprehending that that much. But it, it like over and over again throughout this book, he talks about how he he can feel her. He can feel Ray's bright light. He can sense that she's alive or dead. In and trouble in trouble yeah and it's just shoved in your face like over and over again throughout this novel so that at that at the end when they had that i know moment like i was like he's yeah he is he's four seconds <laughs> this is so they cool. did they red did not five is you know yet. that's luke's x-wing it's ray she's showing us how to get to exegol how do you know finn right <laughs> and then i love that even poe acknowledged it he's like we all know like they yeah. all like had figured it out by the end yeah and, and it's makes sense too that that is like he wanted to talk to ray like because it could have been like i love you i know moment but it, it but that now it makes sense why it had to be ray because that is who would he would share that force-ness with he wouldn't really talk to poe necessarily about that first before talking to ray yeah we're gonna die in these sambros and you're keeping secrets yep yep um. yep and i also like that Jana just so readily accepted that Finn could sense something. Like, she, I think, intuitively knew that he was a little bit different. 
And it almost sounds like she might have something similar because her Mm -hmm. battalion had like that same feeling. They both had that mutual feeling. And that makes me also think with going back to the whole Lando thing of how he's going to seek after these children. He also says in his own inner monologue that that some of them are probably special, like referring to them as like some of them probably have the force. So Mm -hmm. I wonder... I mean, in in a million small ways, people can have a force sensitivity. So I wonder if that was like a a point of seeking out that the First Order yeah. had when they were seeking out young children. And maybe Lando's going to be the beacon to lead them all back to the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to discuss with it. And granted, <laughs> you know, like I said, it, there's so much in this that we can't we can't get to all of it. But I really recommend this one i think it's it's great especially for my first novelization i thought it was awesome so let's go ahead and talk about some of the thoughts from some of the people that we had online and i will bring up connie's so connie said that this was the first time ever that she's read a novelization after she'd seen the movie she said Not particularly a fan of that, even though it does help you visualize what is happening as you're reading. She felt it was a bit difficult to keep interest, which I can understand because you know what the story is. The nuggets of new information was then what I was on the hunt for, and I found those to be especially informative. Overall, it was great to read some of the thoughts of the characters as they go and learn more background info on each one. More specifically, I thought these were points that were great additions to what we saw on the screen. Tidbits on Leia's training and why she quit. She could sense the death of her son at the end. Hearing about Vader's castle and chosen home on Mustafar. Lando's daughter that was taken by the First Order. Uncle Chewie, need I say more? Uh, She felt the movie really did not answer what Finn was going to tell Rey. It seemed like such a big thing in the movie and it was not addressed. We could assume that it was that he realized he was Force-sensitive but that was made a bit more clear in the book than it was in the movie, which is what we just talked about. Background details on the Emperor and how he was able to save himself after being thrown down the shaft. A better explanation of the rule of two in the Diet and the Force. Ben Solo's body disappears at the end, and Ray hears Ben say, I will be with I will always be with you, which I thought was awesome too. Because yeah. that wasn't in the movie. Um, You could better understand Ben's thoughts at the end, his regret about wasting his life, believing the lies that Snoke had fed him, his missed opportunities with his mom and dad, and not being able to enjoy the diet and the force with Ray for a longer period of time. I think Ray Carson did a great job with the novelization. So, I agree with all of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, from Nicole, she said... My own personal thoughts, my two key moments that absolutely brought me to tears, Chewbacca being captured and time between him and Kylo Ren. Uncle Chewie, sad face with so many tears coming down, heartbreak emoji. (laughs) Um, The moment between Ben and Ray, Ben finally being honest with himself, giving his life so so she could live hers. All in all, I enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker, both book and movie. Right there with you, sister. Yeah. And then we've got Ryan on Twitter when we were discussing Kylo Ren's turn to the light. He said, this moment is impactful to me because this memory has been with Kylo Ben ever since he killed his father. This time he makes the right decision and throws the lightsaber away. When he killed Han, the last thing Han did was touch his son's face and forgave him. And I'm not sure Kylo expected to be forgiven. 
He thinks he is too far gone, but his parents' compassion and sacrificing himself and Ray healing him, he finally realized that people still cared about him, and calling Han dad is basically saying, I love you. Dad, I'm sorry. Oh. Mm-hmm. No. Don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just be over here in our feelings. It's fine. Thank you, Ryan. That was a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. So we do appreciate everybody who submits their thoughts to us and participates in our discussion questions. And we do three discussion questions every week. So we do it over a period of two days. And so we, we really appreciate everyone who participated. And if you have not uh, joined our book club, definitely do that. We'd love to have more members mm-hmm. and more participation with discussion questions and everything else. But we'll talk about that in a second. But Amanda, so we are going to be going into the month of June, and it might be June by the time this airs. But what are we going to be reading for June? Oh, I'm so excited. We are going to be reading the brand new Queen's Peril that's going to be out on June 2nd uh, by E.K. Johnston. I am the most excited. More Padme, please. (laughs) (laughs) So in April, we read Queen's Shadow, and this is going to be a prequel of that book. Same author, so it'll be very exciting to see what parts of that book kind of mesh really well with Queen's Shadow very excited for it and i can't wait to to see what happens with that and speaking of padme you guys just we aired the first episode of space buns so hopefully everyone saw that on our youtube channel but it was it was great very well done guys well thank you thanks so we're getting (laughs) a lot more padme amanda so we are right now doing a giveaway so we're working on increasing our followers on twitter so You want to tell people a little bit about what that giveaway is? Yes. For the TSO Book Club on Twitter, we have a super awesome giveaway that we're doing, and we've spent the past couple of months kind of putting this together and waiting for all the pieces to come together. And for our 300 follower giveaway, we're going to be doing a Ray bookmark with one of the TSO Book Club pins, and we will select a follower at random from our follower list when we hit there and send it on over. For our 400 follower marker, we're going to be doing a read It's Our Only Hope Leia pencil case from Out of Print Tease, and it's really, really cute, and a TSO Book Club pin. You notice the theme here. Everyone gets a pin. <laughs> you get a pin and you get a pin. Um, They're really cute. <laughs> they are really cute. I'm super stoked about them. And then our final giveaway when we hit 500 followers at the TSO Book Club is going to be a Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker expanded edition hardback book uh, signed by Ray Carson. That's an awesome giveaway. Yes. And a book club pin. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So speaking of pins, Mm -hmm. um, we have some of these TSO Book Club pins. So if you either don't win one of the giveaways or don't want to risk missing out. Um, We do have them for sale. They're going to be $7 anywhere in the U.S. with free shipping. So if you want one, just shoot us a message on our social media pages and we'll Mm -hmm. get those to you here shortly. And then we're also getting Space Buns pins, which I'm very excited about. They're going to be a little bit bigger than the book club pins, so they're going to cost a couple dollars more. 
but they're going to have two kind of rubber backings so they won't they won't uh, you know fall off or anything to kind of help with the size. So I'm very excited about those. They should be shipping out to me uh, the first week of June here, so basically any time. Uh, and those are going to be $10 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. So if you guys are interested in one of those, just let me know as well. And... Yeah, it's a very exciting, very exciting for the for these giveaways and, and pins and yep. everything. A lot of merch coming. Yep, make sure you are liking and retweeting and following. And, I mean, we're just going to keep on kind of trying to chug along towards these goal markers for followers. And that'll help us get ready to make some more um, giveaways down the road. We've got some extra stuff hanging around here, so... And it'll just make book club more fun. Yeah, I love giveaways. More people, more opinions. Mm -hmm. And we we really need all the points of view we can get to really dive into these books. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Jesse, where can people find us on social media? So for book club and participating in all our great discussions, you can either go to Facebook. We have a public open group on there. Just search TSO book club. And you can also join us for discussion questions on Twitter under the handle TSO book club. All right. Perfect. And like Amanda said, we're going to be reading Queen's Peril for the month of June. Very excited about that. And then, of course, we have, I believe it's at the end of June, Shadow uh, Shadow Squadron. Shadowfall? Shadowfall. Yeah. Shadowfall by Alexander Freed. So um, that's going to be exciting too. That'll be out at the end of the month and that will be our book for July. So, oh, one other thing. We'll talk a little bit about this on our on our, on our regular show TST, but uh, because it has to do with books, I'll just kind of mention it quickly here before we go. The High Republic, right? That content got mm-hmm. delayed a little bit. So... All the books and everything that we were going to be getting at Celebration to kind of kick things off with the new era of Star Wars uh, is now delayed to January. So yep. very sad there, thanks to thanks to the coronavirus. Um, you know, COVID just keeps throwing a wrench in things, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh well. Yep. More to look forward yep. to, I guess. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you, everybody, for listening to our episode for the month of May, where we discussed The Rise of Skywalker Novelization Expanded Edition by Ray Carson. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and thank you to everyone who submitted your thoughts and participated in discussion questions. We are so very thankful for your participation, and we will see everyone in the month of June for more Padme. May the Force be with you guys. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the Hutt. Point on Halloween. This 
Don't you admire to meet the king?